I'm Dr. Megan Corredo, and welcome to Real Stories, a podcast that features the narratives of trauma survivors, professionals, and community leaders. Real Stories provides a platform for guests with diverse life experiences to voice and honor their unique narratives. During today's episode, we will be speaking with Dr. Karen Traceman. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so can you tell us a little about who you are? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit. So I guess uh, you can probably hear from the accent. Um, I'm English. Um, I'm based in London. Um, I am a clinical psychologist. Um, have spent a huge amount of my childhood and adult life in lots of different countries, mainly in Africa. Mad traveller. Unfortunately, that's slightly blunted with the old pandemic. But, um, you know, I've li- spent time in India, China, all over Africa. Um, and yeah, bi- big artist as well. Um, love to do, which we have in common, mosaics and stained glass and resin and and all the rest. So that's a little bit personally. <laughs> Okay. And then can you tell us about what you do? Sure. Um, so I, I guess my job's really multi-layered. I'm super lucky. Um, it's a lot of variety. So I'm a psychologist, which is a bit different in the UK to in America. Um, so we don't do diagnosis. Um, it's less of the medical model. It's more social and psychological. So I, I'm a therapist um, and I work predominantly with trauma, particularly young people who are involved in youth violence, the care system, adopted, asylum-seeking and refugee young people. I'm an expert witness for court, particularly for child protection and child in need cases. Um, I'm a trainer. I do a huge amount of training to lots and lots of people. Um, And I'm an organisational consultant to 90 organisations. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) A lot, a lot. And they really vary from prisons, nursery schools, schools, local, a local authority, which is child welfare, um, residential homes. And that's really about their organisational journey to become more trauma, adversity and culturally informed, infused and responsive at an organisational level. Uh, and I'm an author. <laughs> it's a long, very long introduction. But yes. <laughs> So, so tell us a little bit about the books that you've written. Yeah, so I'm crazily about to have my 11th out, which is, if wow. you would have told me I'd written a book, I would have said in a million years, never. Um, I could hardly do an essay at school. Um, yeah. But yeah, honestly. Um, so I have my first book, Working with Relational and Developmental Trauma, which really goes into how does trauma impact children and adolescents bodies brains emotions behaviors relationships it's more of like an academic text um i've got my therapeutic treasure box which is a bestseller which is a kilo in weight has over three thousand direct work tools um i've then got six children's workbooks which have a story and loads of tools and strategies i've got one on emotional regulation one on sleep and nightmares one on self-esteem and resilience, one on anxiety, stress and fear, one on trauma and my one coming out on bereavement. And then my next book's coming out in just a few months but available for pre-order is a treasure box for organisations about how they can start becoming more trauma, adversity and culturally informed. And it's got everything from 
co-production, language, um, supervision, reflective practice, physical environments, uh, recruitment. So really looks at sort of those organisational layers. Um, and then I've got a bunch of therapeutic cards and some therapeutic cuddly toys as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, you also created characters to go along with some of your books. I You, you mailed me one all the way um, from the UK. You mailed me Cleo. Yeah. Oh, I love Cleo. Yeah. My dream in life, uh, kind of therapeutically, was to create loads of toys and things to use in therapy because how I work is full of puppets and masks and clay. And I really, really wanted characters to bring the story alive. And each character is named after one of my family members. Um, there's a bit of a rainbow theme. Um, they almost all of the books, apart from Presley, is based in a different country in Africa. So there's a real personal flavor, and each one has a therapeutic feature. So, like Cleo's tummy comes off, so he's either got a rainbow happy tummy or an angry keep out tummy. Binny the baboon, my mum is actually Binny, um, has butterflies in her tummy. So you zip open her tummy and there's butterflies. So yeah, each one has sort of, uh, so it was an absolute unbelievable dream come true when I got the opportunity to to create those really. Mm, I love it. And I love, I love the fact that um, you're exploring something as heavy and difficult as trauma, but you're using um, colorful colorful animals um, and and really interactive, innovative activities to support people in navigating really serious challenges. Oh, thank you. That really, really does mean a lot. And I think that is, that's exactly it, is how do we have those conversations, but in a playful, accessible, um, non-shaming, friendly way that allows children to have a bit of distance um, and not to be so um well for it to not be positioned at that narrative therapy the problem is the problem not the person so how we allow them to talk to a character rather than so there can be similarities and differences with those characters I think the power of stories which obviously your resources are phenomenal for that as well I think it just brings so much about um, and allows people to process in a really different way mm-hmm So we know that every individual, every community, every system has a story and every story includes both adversity and Mm. strength. Can you talk to us about some of the adversities that you faced? Yeah, um, I guess there's so many different ones on different facets and different angles and uh, different ones, I suppose, that are visible and not visible. Um, I suppose, you know, I've had an interesting background in terms of my grandparents were survivors of Auschwitz. Um, and the Holocaust, and then moved to South Africa during apartheid. So I think there's a huge amount of sort of intergenerational, uh, cultural and historical trauma on that aspect. Um, I also experienced quite a lot of anti-Semitism as a child. But I think some of the ones which really stand true, and maybe I'm aware of my own bias at the moment because of the pandemic, but I suppose my whole life, I've had a lot of struggles with my health uh, from a childhood through to adulthood um, of various chronic conditions um, where I've, you know, currently I've been shielding since March, but also, you know, had to do a doctorate and uh, travel and live in Africa and have to um, 
you know, be in therapy and be regulating and contained when every day I sort of deal with ongoing um, quite horrible physical health symptoms. And I guess I also have a mum with multiple sclerosis who's disabled from the neck down. So I think that has had a huge role in terms of having a mum uh, who is disabled uh, and, and was diagnosed when I was fairly young. So I guess lots mm. I could go on, but yeah, lots lots of those kind of intertwined aspects, I guess. Mm. Um, so it's so interesting um, to think about all the things that you've created, mm. um, all the different people that you've trained. And then like along with, in addition to you training and educating other people, you're also kind of like wrestling with your own adversities, wrestling, wrestling with your own um, personal traumas and intergenerational traumas. Absolutely. And I think all of us come to this work, as you say, with a story with things that have shaped us, you know, it's it's not a coincidence. And I think there's aspects with people I work with that have very similar themes and there's aspects who have very different. But absolutely, I think these things kind of make us who we are. They can trigger us. They can give us compassion, empathy. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, I've always been drawn to working in the area of trauma um, I've always been interested in um, the themes of migration and cross-cultural psychology. Um, I also have worked a lot, for example, my thesis, my doctorate thesis was in HIV. Um, so even though it wasn't about my health stuff, there was lots of those sort of trauma and health. Um, so absolutely, I think there's huge amounts of a kaleidoscope of differences, similarities and different areas we bring into it, really. Mm -hmm. So I know for me, sometimes um, when I'm providing trainings to different groups, I'm presenting on a particular topic and I'm like, oh, uh, I think I need to listen to this for myself, too, um, <laughs> because it's, you know, not this like us versus them, the traumatized versus the, the untraumatized. But many of us are experiencing some of the same things that we're supporting other people in navigating. Do you ever find that to be the case, too, as you're as you're doing all these trainings all over the world? Do you ever find like, oh, this, this can apply to me? too? Absolutely. I mean, I think so often things you think oh my goodness you know that really resonates or that really pushes a button or that really makes sense to me or I really need to pay attention to that or someone says something and I think oh my goodness that's really made me see it from a completely different perspective or yeah I think there's a huge amount and it's it's interesting because there's a quote by John Dewey which says you know we don't learn from experiences we learn from reflecting from experiences um, and I think absolutely every every training, every therapy, I think I learn as much from the themes, the audience, the people who I work with than they learn from me. You know, I'm the expert of my own experiences, but there is so much about the reciprocal relationship. And I think it is that constant model in the model of having this ongoing learning and, and that humility of sort of there's always stuff that I are my blind spots that I need to think about and I can always learn from other people so yeah I think absolutely and and it's the same as me going to other people's training even though I suppose I specialize in trauma I probably read two trauma books a week I go to my own trauma conferences all the time and every time I learn something new have a sort of shooting star of a realization so yeah massively mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. It's interesting, too, when we think of the term trauma informed, yeah. um, it's almost like uh, some people think that 
after attending a training or a couple of trainings that they have learned everything that there is to learn about what it means to be trauma-informed. But I think you're also highlighting the fact that this is about an ongoing learning process. And even those of us who have been, you know, um, who have particular expertise in trauma-informed work are still learning every day, every week. I think you've just hit the nail on the head and it's one of my biggest bugbears when people say, we are trauma-informed or we've done trauma training so we know what we're doing or it's all about training and absolutely it's about that journey there's not a final destination that ongoing but not only is there constantly new information coming up new discoveries but you know trauma is such an umbrella term but it's thinking about the intersection of trauma with race trauma with poverty and then not just thinking you know someone might be a specialist in domestic violence but what about medical trauma, cultural trauma, intergenerational trauma, um, you know, war trauma, all of these different uh, types. So to me, and you might have a real sense of how to do a trauma intervention, but do you think about how to infuse that into your supervision, your assessments, your, you know, and as we know, there's just constant things, new things that are coming out that we're learning. So absolutely, for me, it's having that growth mindset and just really being open. And every young person I work with, I just learn so much richness, every organisation I work with. So yeah, I think it's a massive thing that we need to shift that it's a tick box or a buzzword or the sexy word, and that we see it as really and I think informed is interesting isn't it it's about knowledge and knowing but to me knowing's mm-hmm. not enough it's moving to feeling to doing being to actually infuse that not just what you do but who you are mm-hmm. and recognizing that there's multiple dimensions of knowing we can read something we can and we can answer all the the quiz questions correctly yeah. But how does it transform the way that we interact with other people and also the way that we view ourselves too? Absolutely. And as you said, it's not just the cognitive, it's the embodied, the semantic, the sensory, the emotional, all those different layers. And actually, yeah, that it changes your actions and that it's not, as you say, that them and us, that this is something for all of us. And I think that's one of the big issues with services is they've become dehumanizing. They've become splitting. And actually, to me, one of the biggest things we need to do is to humanize, is to see someone within the context of and the landscape of their life experiences. So yeah, massively so. So can you share a few important positive moments or turning points in your story? It's a tough question, isn't it? Because there are so many I call them sparkle moments and there are just Mm. so many and I feel like I've been so privileged to be surrounded by so many people and so many moments um I think I think a sort of a few that come straight to my head and that's always an interesting thing isn't it what comes straight to your head and if you ask me tomorrow after thinking about it it would probably be very different um I think definitely there's a lot of moments traveling that massively have shaped me. And that has been, you know, a moment spending New Year's Eve with a village in Africa, holding a newborn baby, watching a voodoo ceremony and doing a rain dance and suddenly rain starts falling from the skies. I mean, just moments that have given me such hope and faith and connection uh in India I met the most unbelievable man 
who this was before as a psychologist who told me I was going to be a psychologist and write books wow. and work with children who worked with trauma and he really tr- transformed my world we're still in touch today um lots of people along along the time I had an art teacher who really taught me what it was to see the world through an art lens which was mirrored by my grandma who was also an artist um I think work-wise um the first ones that come to my hand is certain children which obviously I can't talk to but who just blew my mind and just I just thought you know your gifts and you are the memory bank that I'm going to take with me and be my guiders with mm. every young person I work with because I've been so inspired by them um the Winston Churchill fellowship which you know uh was which I started in Philly um where I literally got to meet you know Sandy Bloom and Mandy Davis and people who have been real trailblazers and shakers and movers in the trauma-informed world um god I could go on and on and on but those are some of the ones that start popping into my mind Mm. um Something that I'm always repeating is that wherever there are stories of adversity and trauma, there are always stories of strength and resilience. And I'm just smiling. Um, I'm smiling now because um, of how many different positive moments and turning points you're able to highlight. And I love how you call them sparkle moments. Um, And they come in all different, uh, they manifest themselves in all different ways with all different people doing a variety of different activities. Um, you know, from traveling to like clinical mm. work. And it just, it excites me and refreshes me that we can focus not only on the adversities we face, but also on all these different sources of strength. Yeah, I think there's so much about strength and power and adversarial growth. And it's funny because as you said that, so every night before I go to bed, I have this thing where I have I call it a treasure box. It's a jewelry box I bought in India, but it's next to my bed. It's where I came up with the name for my book, the the treasure box. Um, and every night before I go to bed, even if I've had a terrible day, I'm exhausted, I'm pissed off, I'm in a bad mood. I always try and get a piece of paper or post-it notes. And I really take my strengths bane to the gym. And I'm like, what am I grateful for today? What sparkle moments have there been? What do I want to anchor onto? What do I want to remember? And I write down at least one, sometimes it can be up to five. um, And I pop it Mm. into this box. And so whenever I'm having one of those days that I just feel life is a bit too much or a bit too overwhelming, or I'm fed up, I open this box, and it just sort of resets me. So I find those stories of hope. Um, amazing and I once had a supervisor who said to me if hope could be your constant traveling companion if hope was your best friend how would it be if it was constantly traveling with you if that best friend was constantly by your side um and I think that sort of gives that to me a little bit Mm. I love the idea um of having a box beside you that holds all of these positive empowering moments because sometimes it's really difficult to remember those moments when we're when we are in the thick of things um it can feel like there isn't any um there isn't any hope and I love that it's like you have made it a practice for yourself to say regardless regardless of what is going on whatever barriers or challenges I'm going to still find those sparkle moments absolutely and I really try obviously I never force but I always try and get you know, my foster carers and adopters 
who are really often living you know with a child who's experienced a huge amount of trauma and sometimes it's hard for them to feel that things are improving or that there's good things happening in the day and I always try and support them to do a similar thing same as with organizations what's going well in the team what are they proud of I think Mm -hmm. it does just start to go into your muscle memory a little bit more and just shift the scale it doesn't mean discount what's going on but it's bringing that positive in so yeah it's something I right I'm like envisioning what I'm going to do with my <laughs> box because now that you introduced this idea, like I use the idea of a stories yeah. box in my narrative process, but I love this, like something that can contain all the positive moments. And I'm thinking how I can bling it out and like megify it, uh, you know, make it Megan style and have it next oh, to my yeah, bed so Megan I can mirror that and activity. I have to send me a photo of that one. And, you know, as you were saying that, I was like, I need to send you a photo of another box that I just did recently that I mosaic the outside of so uh yes you could even resonate it as well so um we have a whole series of boxes (laughs) oh I love it I love it you have me excited now I have a new art project to do (laughs) (laughs) so where do you see yourself in the future it's a big one as well isn't it um do you know what it's really funny because I get asked that question quite a lot um professionally and Part of me just wants to do the same. Um, I I love what I do. If I won the lottery, I do exactly the same, just less hours. Um, so mm-hmm. partly I love what I'm doing, but there are things that I'd like to do more of. Um, I'd love to do, I already do quite a lot of work in um, Africa and Asia, but I would love to do more. Um, I would love to have the opportunity to create even more systemic change at a government level, at an organisational level. As I said, I'm, I've got 90 organisations, so it's pretty damn good. But um, I'd love to do more stuff in America. Um, I'd love to create more resources. Puppets is my absolute. I'd love to create more puppets. Um, and I guess one of my big passions, and I know that you uh, have a similar passion, is I find that what's happened a lot with trauma-informed practice is not only has it become quite tick box and tokenistic so my big thing is to make it meaningful and multi-layered and to really use the word carefully and to see it change practice Mm. but I really want to infuse it with ideas of human rights social justice and cultural humility Um, that would be you know the dream to be able to do that and just to keep on training and supporting as many people as I can um yeah and more travel uh personally just more travel more creativity more connections with amazing people like yourself um yeah it's such a comprehensive vision that like addresses multiple things that you want to achieve I love it are there any favorite or life-changing resources that you want to share with listeners Ooh. um well, for one that's coming straight to my mind, which I wasn't thinking about, but as you've just said that, I just finished reading a book called And I Live On, which blew my mind, uh, blew my mind from the story's point of view and blew my mind from a structure point of view. It's it's in essence a book that was written. Um, I've got a real affiliation to Rwanda. I've spent a lot of time in Rwanda. I've worked a lot with Rwandan survivors of the genocide. Um, And it was written first in 1996 
and it follows, you would love it, it follows 12 people's experience of the genocide. And then in 2018, they went back and interviewed those same people. So you've got the first extract and then you've got 15 plus years on the longitudinal, what has happened since and how they've made sense of it. Um, And it's just, it's graphic and a painful read and raw, but it's an unbelievable thing of trauma across the lifespan, uh, adversarial growth, strengths, but just an amazing concept. We so rarely have books that follow that long. So that I literally finished reading a few weeks ago and and, and blew my mind. Um, I think from a sort of Nelson Mandela and Maya Angelou have been two massive influences of mine. Uh, And from the trauma world, probably many of the usual ones, Sandy Bloom, um, Mm-hmm. Kathy Malciotti for her arts creative use, mm-hmm. Perry, Pat Ogden for sensory. So yeah, I think some of those um and my treasure box I suppose changed my life. Um not necessarily mm. others, but it not only is it what sort of massively changed my name and reputation, but it is the book that I wished I had when I qualified as a psychologist. Um mm-hmm. so it was the book that I dreamt of having. So it was it's my baby. <laughs> Mm. Can you tell us about like the evolution of that project? Like, how did it happen? Yeah, so I um, had written my first book, uh, which was a very bizarre, interesting topic. Actually, I was approached by it after presenting in America, in in Florida at a conference. Never had thought about writing a book in a million years. Uh, wrote it <laughs> and really, actually, sort of surprised myself and enjoyed the process. And I was on Twitter. And I got a message from my current publisher to say, you know, we'd be really interested in you writing a book for us. And I said, to be honest, no, I was very restricted in my first one. They didn't let me have pictures and photos. I would only ever do one if it could be a treasure box of tools. I want it to have art and photos and therapeutic resources and I would only do it if it's like going to be literally like a mammoth book and they basically said cool you have do whatever you want to do put it together and it is kilo in weight I did it from start to finish whilst working full-time in five months it just poured out and I I took it from, I'd spent, like you, so many years creating resources for foster carers, for kids in care, that I took all of those resources and sort of put it all in one spot and tested it out with the kids and got different people to add things in and tested it out in Africa. And um, yeah, and then actually it's got better and better since then because then my books like, you know, that you've got, then I was allowed to do it in colour. (laughs) So it got even Okay. (laughs) So um, yeah, but it was an absolute, um, it was a joy to do. And I, what a lot of people don't know about all of my books is I make all of the art myself. So wow. I didn't feel ethical using pictures of children's artwork because even if they consented, I was, you know, it's private, it's in therapy. And so every image you see, I recreated and made myself. Uh, wow. Obviously with lots of fun, although time consuming. I can hear like the joy in your voice as you're talking about creating them. I've got a big smile on my face because I just, I do, I absolutely. I've just finished my next one on Ollie the Octopus on bereavement and grief. And 
I just I just loved it it just gave me such a buzz and when people write to you and say here's the picture my child's done doing this or it's the first time my kids looked in my eye or it's the first time they've it just I can't explain the uh, well you get it from your books it's it's just I feel like my books are my legacy and that when I die they will go on living and that's I think a really special amazing privilege to be part of Mm. so is there anything else that you want to share with our audience um not that I can think of I just I suppose many people are probably listening to this in the midst of the pandemic um and Black Lives Matter and Trump and Brexit for us um and I just really want to sort of let people know that I'm thinking of them and I hope that they have some sparkle moments they can anchor on to and um just thank you for taking the time to listen and thank you to you for sort of the amazing energy resources uh for inviting me on the podcast thank you for listening to real stories the resources referenced by today's guest speaker will be included in the episode description For more information about me, Dr. Megan Corredo, and my work with the story's trauma narrative intervention, please visit my website, www.storiesguide.com. Also, feel free to follow my story social media pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Remember that for every story of trauma and adversity, there is always a story of strength and resilience.